I, I've always thought it's kind of weird and odd that we pick a month and say this is the month you celebrate this kind of stuff, you know? It's like Valentine's Day. Now you have to do something on Valentine's Day or you're, something's wrong with you, right? You have to buy flowers on Valentine's Day. You have to say you like us during October. <laughs> <laughs> now we thank you for this. And it's, it, um, it really does mean a lot. The little things, I think, mean more than you know sometimes. Just the, um, <clears throat> just the uh, you know, the occasional, hey, you're doing a good job or, or um, you know, I, I, this is weird to say this, but it makes me very uncomfortable when, when you say, great sermon, pastor. I always have. I don't, I'm not sure why. I think part of it in my head is because I feel like this is, you know, it's, it's, um, we're trying to talk about God. It's not really, it's not like I did something great. It's more like God did something great and I just highlighted it. But, uh, but those kind of things mean stuff. You know, the, the children, youth, they never, they, specifically children, you never see the children's pastor. And so you don't, Oftentimes they don't, unless it's the group of people that they're interacting with, nobody even notices. They don't say anything. The youth pastor, you mean you know that they're there, but but saying something to them or doing something is um, is a uh, it means a lot. So so there's Josh. Let's say Josh, you did a good job. <laughs> See, he likes it when you do that. He told me when I come in, could you say that, please? <clears throat> All right. So I wanted to let you know we are, as we're coming up toward the end of the year, we're, <clears throat> well, thank you. <clears throat> I already know this stuff. You know, the more, the more Shelby talked, I was like, man, we are a pretty good staff. I... Um, as we're coming up toward the end of the year to, to put some focus on this, we are wanting to start our construction, our new building in uh, spring. All the stuff we did last winter and last spring was all um, infrastructure stuff, underground stuff, and in the walls, and um, a bunch of stuff in that back room and things like that. Now, we have been uh, trying to do some things along the way that are part of the building. We're not, we're not trying to. We actually are having to do some things along the way that are part of the, the new construction stuff. Um, because our stuff is breaking down, and, and so we've already done air conditioners. That was quite a few. That was tens of thousands of dollars. Put uh, new air conditioners up on the roof. We've got, we put a new heater in a few weeks ago. Uh, we did find out this week, we were trying to get the other heaters that we've got here working, and we knew that some of them were not that um, solid. And In fact, we were, me and some of the staff were standing in my office talking about some stuff, and all of a sudden, out of the vent, a bunch of smoke started coming out of the vent. And it got bad fast. So we run downstairs because I think, um, Rick, were you already down there? Rick and a, a heater guy was down there. Dale was down there. And they were trying to get one of our heaters working. And somewhere, we, they don't, we didn't see a fire, but somewhere it caught fire to something. And it was blowing smoke up through the vent. We had to, oh, I mean, we couldn't even do anything for a while in the church. And so we're having to do new heaters um, over this next week or two. <clears throat> These are not things we plan, but they will go in the new building. We are buying them in such a way that they are, we already know what goes in the new structure. And so we're just buying what those are and we're putting them somewhere now and then we'll move them to where they need to go uh, once we finish the new construction. The lights, I've talked about this. We're trying to, we were actually going to do more lights, but we've been spending a lot of money on heaters and air conditioners uh, over the last month or so. And so, so the reason I'm saying all this is we want you to be thinking about this. And as we come up to the end of the year, we want to have a really good, um, <clears throat> A monthly commitment to the building fund so that we know we, we, we already are planning on this. We're looking at our finances and we think we're right at that number where we can start the construction. It's going to be a little close. Um, we may not be quite there, but this is why I'm, I'm saying this is I want you to think about committing to the building fund on a monthly basis to where it's just like uh, what you do. And, um, and then we will know if you do that before the end of the year and, and we see that, then we, when we're looking at the finances and then also when we're showing these to the bank and stuff, that we'll know, okay, this is what we have for a monthly, um, to spend for a monthly note uh, on the, the new construction. And so think about that, pray about that, consider committing to this so that we can, that we can get this started in the spring. We're, we're ready to do this. We, every time we turn around, we're, we're, we're up and then down, up and down with attendance and these kind of things. 
Um, the worst is with our children's departments, our, our boys, girls ministries on Wednesday nights up and then down. And when you're putting three or four groups in one room uh, together, you're not really being very effective. And, and the kids don't like that. And eventually they just don't want to be a part of it. And so we're seeing a bunch of this that's happening. So uh, think about it, pray about it, and then, um, and then make some kind of commitment to this. And then we'll know uh, what's going on. So I want to show you a video, <clears throat> and uh, this, uh, this video, um, I think Art sent this to me this week, but I really like the video. It's very, the, the, the video, the video quality is not that great. Somebody was filming it with their cell phone, and you really can't even see the guy very well and stuff like that, but uh, I, I think the message is very strong, very powerful, and so, so watch this with it. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam I am. I do not like them on a boat. I do not like them with a goat. I do not like them on a train or in the dark or in the rain. I do not like them here or there. I do not like them anywhere. I'll tell you what else I do not like, calling good things bad and wrong things right. They've come and tried to destroy our structure barging in with this cancel culture. With angry expressions, they were sent to come with us with their agenda. You know what else makes me see red? Attacking Dr. Seuss and Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> or Speedy Gonzalez or Pepe Le Pew and the Bernstein Bears, to name a few. You can't say that or you can't say this. Well, I've had enough and I've made a list. Cancel culture has crossed a line. And I believe that it's past time Amen. for the body of Christ to take a stand, yeah. joined in unity all over the land. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, right. all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. With cancel culture, I disagree that we can't say words like he or she. The Bible for me settled this issue. If this makes you mad, then grab a tissue. <clears throat> Male and female, God created them. And who are we to challenge him? He came to earth as a babe in the manger. To this kind of love, we were all strangers. See, Jesus came to save the lost, and he died upon that old rugged cross. Laid in that tomb for three whole days, the defeated foes were death, hell, and the grave. He arose with all power, dominion, and might. With the stone rolled away, he finished that fight. We can fight too. The church must stand up. Been silent too long and I've had enough. The church at one time had abandoned her post, losing her freedom and the things we love most. This is a time where we take it all back. Yes, we'll stand up and get back on track. I started this poem with green eggs and ham, but it's really about the great I am. Let's pray. <clears throat> I thought that was pretty solid. I, I do think, and you guys know I say this regularly around here, I do think it, that, that we, as the body of Christ, have to start taking more stands in different situations. Now, that doesn't mean you're, you have to be a jerk, or it doesn't mean you have to debate with people or that kind of thing. But I do believe that you have to stand for truth, you have to stand for righteousness, and you have to stand in love, in the love of Christ, for who Jesus is. Uh, there, there's plenty of information that we have about who Jesus is. And they're, they're, I think we're supposed to stand up against sin. I think we're supposed to stand up against uh, the direction that our society is going. And um, just, just been processing that. The last week and a half, two weeks, I've had four interviews from uh, newspapers. Many of you have mentioned the Gazette article that was done that said I didn't respond or I didn't want to respond. That's not true. Um, I talked to uh, the reporter many, many messages and texts saying, can you meet now, can you meet now, and she never could meet with me. Um, and I can prove that because I have the texts. Um, but this is the thing, why do I, why do I interact with these people? Because they're they out to get me. When they call and they have, you know, four different reporters call and they all have the exact same five questions, word for word, they're, and they're not nice questions, they're out to get me. But so here's, here's the reason that I respond, here's the reason I talk is because anytime you have an opportunity to speak truth, you should try to do it. And you never know when somebody's going to go, oh, I didn't think about that. Now, 
you would think, okay, well, journalists, they all know this stuff, and they're just doing an attack piece. And while they, all four of them were trying to do an attack piece on me, um, they didn't actually know information. That's one of the things I've learned is, is most liberal-thinking people don't actually know truth. Now, let's be honest. Most um, right-leaning people don't either, right? We don't, know what we don't know what we believe. We just know we believe it. But this is where you need to know what you believe. And I would ask these reporters, well, why, why do you say that? What does that mean? Do you even know what that is? And I would, I would try to have the discussion. Sometimes, sometimes I get caught where I'm pinning their ears back, and I know that's what I'm doing. But they came after me. So. But I, the biggest thing is, is if you just keep speaking truth, keep speaking truth. It's amazing what Jesus can do with truth. There's lies all the time. Constantly, society is lying, lying, lying about everything. But when you speak truth, there is a chance, you may never know it, but there is a chance that you can change somebody's thinking and actually help them to see. Because where does truth come from? Truth comes from Jesus. All truth comes from Jesus. And all lies come from Satan. That's what Scripture tells us. And so we've got to make sure we're standing in truth and then also speaking truth. And do the best you can to do that on a regular basis. Make sure your heart and your right and your uh, your heart and your attitude are right when you're doing it. That's 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 my struggle sometimes with this. Um, just make sure your heart's right and you really love them and you're trying to to truly just stand for truth. And it's amazing what God can do with that. So go with me to to uh, Genesis chapter two. I'm continuing with this um, <clears throat> with this marriage series. Interestingly, on this one, I'm not going to really talk about the marriage per se. I'll mention some things until we get to the end of this because I think, I think we need to see a bigger picture before we can understand this concept. And what I'm talking about is intimacy and what intimacy is and uh, what it looks like in relationship and then specifically what it looks like in marriage. And uh, it's, it's just interesting that we've taken intimacy and we turned it into... Well, I just don't think that most... Most of us in Western society have a really uh, profound understanding of intimacy. There's so much culture that is pushed and pushed. And I would say the younger the generations get into today's uh, generations, that the concept of intimacy is very gone. It's, um, it's, not, it's, not, it's not understood and prevalent, um, even just like it used to be, and specifically within this context of Western society. But let's, let's, um, let's start in Genesis chapter 2. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. There's, there's a bunch of stuff that's going on with this. One sentence, I think sometimes we pass by. But interestingly, God's, God did not say, well, first Adam didn't say, I'm alone. Well, why did Adam not say he was alone? Because he didn't know he was alone. He'd never seen another human. He didn't know there was such a possibility. God said, it's not good for you to be alone. And then he, then he paraded all the animals in front of Adam, and he named every single one of them. And, and part of what God was doing is saying, these animals are not what I'm saying when I say I'm going to make a helper for you. It's not, it's not the animals. There's somebody that is like you. In fact, they're just like you except the opposite. And I talked about that two weeks ago, right? So here's something else that I think we may pass by sometimes and not process. God says, well, we see in the New Testament where... The Lord says he's going to provide everything we need for life and godliness, right? But then God says to Adam, um, you're alone. Now, God is walking and talking with Adam every single day, but, but God says to Adam, in person to Adam, while he's standing there, that you're alone. Now, that, that seems a little strange because God is standing there. So Adam's not alone, but what God is saying is you're alone in a, in a sense that I am going to provide somebody for you. This is, when, when God says he's going to provide everything for us for life and godliness, he specifically was intending for human beings to provide things for human beings that he was not going to provide in a direct sense. And, he's, and, and this is included within this sentence. When he says, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to provide somebody for you. He is basically saying, I am not going to be that guy for you. That there are certain um, relational things. And, and this, by the way, this is before the fall. This isn't because humanity had fallen and God's not walking with this. God was walking with Adam when he created Eve. God was connecting with Adam at this time. 
And while he is connecting with Adam, he says, Adam, I don't want you to be alone. Now, that's not the same thing as lonely. Okay? We, sometimes we confuse alone and lonely. Let, let me ask it this way, and I think we, we get this, but how many of you have been alone and you're not lonely at all? Right? How many of you like to be alone? I get that, right? Um, I'm not lonely when I'm alone. Now, if Linda goes out of town or something, she was gone this whole week, this last week, because uh, she was uh, babysitting our grandchildren. And I really was jealous most of the time because I was here because I'm so important right now in my life and I couldn't go hang out with my kid, grandkids. But, but uh, so we'd be talking on the phone and she would hold the phone. In fact, one night we played hide-and-go-seek. The, the, the grandkids would hide and she would walk around with the phone and I'm saying, here I come. Where are you? Where are you? And... I think Linda did that because she was wearing down and she needed some, she was needing some distraction. She's walking like this. But there's a difference between lonely and alone. And God didn't say it's not good for you to be lonely. I know this sounds a little weird, but I think that every aspect of of human context, emotion, everything should be part of our existence. And so things like loneliness, I think there's times when you need to understand loneliness and you need to go through loneliness and you need to be a part of that. But now, if you're doing that all the time, then something needs to change, right? You need to have the full range of understanding and context because it's how God designed us. But God was saying, but not lonely, but alone. And then he says, now I'm going to provide somebody for you that's going to be just right for you, and they're going to um, provide things for you that, and, and here's the layers of this, that first God is not going to provide for you. Now he provided the person and he provided the ability to understand connection and all this other kind of stuff. But God's not providing it directly. He's providing a person that will provide it. And then also that um, you will be providing this for other human beings and that we're supposed to interact in that way. That God is, is not going to provide, another person will provide, and then that person will provide for you in ways that no other human being is supposed to provide for you. That, that's, that there is a context. Now, you, now if, you're, if you're not careful, you automatically go to the context of sexuality when I talk about this. Sexuality is part of the subject. I'm saying sex is part of the subject, but not what I'm totally talking about. What I'm talking about is intimacy, that depth of relationship, that connection with another human being, that emotional, mental, um, even physiological connection that happens with another human being. God was saying, I'm not going to provide that for you. Somebody else is going to provide that for you. And this person is going to be the only person that is supposed to provide that for you. But see, as human beings, we really struggle with intimacy. We really struggle with this. It is so difficult for us. And I believe the problem is, is the, 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 the essence of the problem is we were designed as, as um, human beings that were designed to be intimately connected, but sin broke that because the very, the very essence of that intimacy in a relationship with God was what we rejected. That's what Eve rejected. She just didn't, she wasn't just really wanting some fruit, Right? She was wanting something that Satan was enticing her with that was different than what God had said, this is how our relationship is going to work. And, he, and Satan enticed her that there could be more to, to life, there could be more to whatever, which is always the way Satan entices us, by the way. That's how, that's how adultery happens, is Satan begins to entice you that something, the grass is greener on the other side, that something is better than this kind of thing. So the idea of intimacy is so much bigger than sex. Now, God designed sex as part of intimacy to be, in fact, it's, it's um, whereas intimacy is, a, is, a, is a, to put a visual, a rolling relational, you know, like the waves of an ocean, the, the swells of an ocean kind of thing, and all of a sudden, you know, a wave crashes against another cr- uh, wave. That sex in the context of a much bigger subject of intimacy all right, so, so now that we're all very uh, uncomfortable, um, you know, one of the things also is that Satan really hates intimacy. He hates the idea that we could be so closely connected to God. Do, do, you, do you realize that according to Scripture, Satan was very, when he was Lucifer, he was very, very close to God. And he rejected that so he could be God. And God said, you don't get to be God and he kicks him out of heaven, 
right? It's Re- Revelation 12. And so we, Satan cannot stand the idea of you being close to God. He's, he gets horribly angry and jealous over this because he knows what it is. And he knows, he knows the heartbeat of God. He was close to God. Then all of a sudden he sees you. It's like when you're boyfriend and girlfriend, and then all of a sudden you see him or her with somebody else after they break up with you kind of thing, right? I heard the old um, REO Speedwagon song. I heard it from a friend who, heard it from a friend who, heard it from another you were messing around. The old song is, you just like, I feel sorry for this guy. He's horrible. But, but that's the thing is Satan can't stand the idea of you getting close to God. And so then also what else does he not like? He doesn't like it when two people get very, very close to each other and they begin to really connect and have intimacy on a core uh, soul spiritual level because why? That we're both in the image of God and this is how God has designed us. That drives Satan crazy. Now one of the things that I think is important to, to put out here, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, as human beings, we are not good at intimacy. And in, in over 30 years of counseling married couples, I can tell you neither male nor female are good at communicating. I, I used to think this years ago that, well, women are good communicators and men are not. That's not true. That is not true. Neither one of us are good communicators. Women are just better talkers, not communicators. Um, that just because you're saying words doesn't mean... See, communication is more than a, uh, a comprehension of information. Communication, when it comes to real communication, there has to be something bigger than cognitive. And obviously bigger than ears. Because, you know, ears hear stuff, and sometimes it doesn't even get into our brain. But even when it gets into our brain, that doesn't mean that we're opening up our existence or our soul or who we are as a person and letting that information into who we are. And then processing that and then giving back from that depth, not from our brain, not from our ears, but from our heart, from our soul, from our existence, that we give back information or give back response from that level. We don't do that very often as human beings. We, we, we resist that. We stay much more topical. And even deeper conversations with, uh, with a man and a wife, we, we will have these conversations And then when it starts to get really down into the depths of who we are, we'll start to shy away. We'll start to back off. When it gets down to really some of the deeper issues of of struggle or pain or baggage or some of that kind of stuff, we'll kind of back off because we're worried. We're scared. That's, That's unknown territory. We're not sure about that. We don't know that we can go there. We don't want to be caught, um, uh, wide open emotionally. And it's difficult for us to do that. But I, I, think, I think that everything in Scripture shows us that God wants that with him and us, and he wants that between us. Now, I also believe there's other layers of connection and intimacy that are non-husband um, and wife relationships. You, you've got close friends. But I do know from Scripture that, that there is that center connection of intimacy, which includes sexuality, sexual connection, that is only designed for one man and one woman together. That's it. Nobody else is supposed to be in that arena. And the reason I say that is because intimacy also includes a lot of other things besides sex. And what happens if we're not careful is we let other people into that very inner sanctum of intimacy, even maybe not sexually, but we let people into that inner core of who we are in the intimacy arena or going into that arena, and we're not supposed to. You're supposed to have very good close friends, and you, and, that, and, and you are supposed to be very connected, very intimate with them, and that becomes less and less as you get out into the, the wider circles of, of your relationships, and we see where even Jesus did that. You know, he had the three, he had the 12, that kind of thing, but when it comes to the husband and wife connection, not just sex, but also including that, there's supposed to be a connection, a communication, an intimacy, a soul connection, a heart connection that is only reserved for one human. And that's your spouse. And then what happens in society today is we take the sexuality component of intimacy and we pull that off to the side. And, and it's, it's a very common uh, thing nowadays where you have sex before you actually even get to know the person. That like a first date mentality, you have sex. 
That's what starts the relationship. The problem is, is there are, there are, are spiritual, physical, emotional, even chemical, physiological connections, wires, connections with sex that when we have that outside of the way God has designed within the context of intimacy, that it hurts us and it tears apart who we are in a lot of different ways and it tears apart the concept of intimacy and, and, and the connection and the relationship and the friendship and everything else. And then we struggle as we're, as we're getting to know this person better and, and even getting to the point where we want to, to get married and stuff like that, we're, we're, we're struggling with the connection of friendship and relationship. And sometimes it takes uh, people years and years to get past that hurdle of we never actually became friends and connected and became intimate before we had sex. Because the intimacy and the connection was what's supposed to lead to that. And that is supposed to build into that mentality and developing of relationship is supposed to build and sex is supposed to be um, a crescendo of that context, but not the, not the focus of it, okay? Even though sex really is a big deal in life. We will say, well, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, it's like one of the biggest three biggest things in your entire existence as a human. But if you, if you get it out of order, it breaks down the concept of intimacy. And couples will struggle with intimacy for years and years until they really go there, really process this, get this under the blood of Jesus, and let Jesus Christ be in charge. The, the intimacy is gone. Same thing that pornography does. Pornography takes away the concept of intimacy. Oh, you still have the sexual understanding. You still have the sex context. But you're, you're, you're abusing what God has created within male and female and the understanding of that. And when, you get, when you're uh, messing around with pornography, you're, you're, you're hurting the way that you see the member of the opposite sex. You're hurting the way you see relationships and connection and even sexuality. You're hurting this stuff because it's not the way God designed it. It's not who he is. And, and, and also, what happens, you can actually build up. It's the same way with, you can become addicted to pornography the same way you can drugs. And what happens with drugs is you have to have more and more and more, and it has to be stronger and stronger. And the same thing happens with pornography. You get to the point where this kind of pornography is not okay anymore, and you need stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's where um, much more deviant behavior comes in, even um, things like uh, pedophilia and stuff like that. And if you look at Romans 1, by the time you get down to the bottom of Romans 1, one of the results of deviant behavior, 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 build, 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 is homosexuality. That's not a starting sin. That's a, that's a, a, a much down the line mentality. Because why? Because you have, you, you physiologically, chemically, mentally, emotionally, you've been connected. And obviously, spiritually, you're getting connected. This stuff is affecting you, and Satan is pulling the strings on all of this stuff, and he's controlling you. The way you break the addiction of that is you get this all under the blood of Jesus, and you begin to let Jesus change your mind and your thought process so that you see what? You see God's plan and intimacy rather than just sex. Sex is a great thing that God has created to be part of this intimacy context, but it's not the, the, the point it's, it's the great part of something that is much bigger and it's much more emotional and spiritual and all these other things. So, Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. It was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it some distance from the camp. Everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents, and they would all watch until Moses, uh, all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. Now, why are they doing this? Because something is about to happen. They're going to actually see something. They're going to actually see something in, in a context of relationship. Moses, as he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. See, I, I don't think we process this sometimes. Adam and Eve sinned, and they had been walking and talking with God. Adam and Eve sinned, and now they're, they're kicked out of the garden, and now we see the, the first few verses of 
uh, or in, in the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 13 where it says, now we look at a glass darkly. You, you, do you realize that your eyeballs right now that are looking at me, they're the same eyeballs that Adam and Eve had, not yours, but you know, the same eyeballs that Adam and Eve had, but they could see God. These eyeballs were designed to see God. Your ears were designed to hear God. Your heart was designed to know God. And when we sinned, we, we darkened our eyes. God's still there. He's not changed. He hasn't moved to another location. He's still right here, right now, in the front of us, right now. But we can't see him anymore because sin clouded that over. And we can't hear his voice anymore because sin clouded that over. And that's why we have to rely on the Holy Spirit for knowing God, hearing God, understanding God, because our physicalness is so broken and corrupt that we have to have divine intervention to have a divine relationship with God. We have to have supernatural intervention. We can't do it by ourselves. But your eyes were designed to see God. Now, we always look at it from our point of view, that Adam and Eve can no longer interact, walk, and talk with God. But I believe that it, it, a very important aspect of knowing this, this, this context is to look at it from God's side. God created us to interact with him. He was coming down and walking in the garden and hanging out every day with Adam and Eve. And then they chose something besides him. They cheated on him is the way scripture says it over and over and over. That they, this is really the way it says it, that they prostituted themselves to something else instead of keeping the relationship with God and the, and the connection and the intimacy with God, they began to chase after other things because of the temporary pleasure or whatever it would give. The same thing we do today. Don't you think God misses interacting with us, talking with us? See, Moses goes out to the tent of meeting and God comes down with the and this pillar of cloud. And, and, and I believe the reason it says that it, it, it goes over the door of the tent of meeting is because God was wanting to hang out with Moses, not everybody else. Not everybody else was wanting this relationship, was connected to God or, or had this desire. And so God puts a cloud over the door and says, me and Moses are talking. Now, I would hope and believe. Now, this was much more of a what's considered a, um, a um, corporate context uh, a um, much more of a, can't think of the word right now, but um, a communal context where everybody is together and God looks at them as a group rather than individualistically as much as he does now after the cross. Because I just have to believe that somebody standing at their tent and watching Moses interact with God was saying, I want that. I need that. I just have to believe that. And part of the reason is because even in the middle of a society that can be very broken and corrupt and anti-God and, and immoral and everything else, there's always people, I always come across people that say, I want that relationship with God. I want that deep relationship. Not, not do the church thing, but I want, I want relationship. I want closeness. I want intimacy. I want him to speak to me, convict me, pull, to, uh, talk to me. I, don't, I want that closeness. And he says... When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Man, I want that. God, whatever you got to do in my life to get me to that place, that's what I want. I need to hear you. I need to, I need to know you. Guys, God, God wants to talk to you, wants to interact with you, wants to connect with you, wants to do that all the time. We're the one, we're the problem, we're the, we're the, the broken whatever. We're, we're the ones who need to say, okay, God, change me. Do something, because you're speaking. What are you saying? You're wanting to talk to us. What are you saying? I need to learn. I need to, I need to retrain my ears to hear God more than all the stuff. You know how difficult it is for us in our society? Satan makes sure we have plenty of reasons and plenty of things accessible to us to keep us from hearing God. If we just got, I mean, I could name three basic things, but if we just got rid of our phones, we might could hear God. If we just got rid of our computers, we might could hear God. And then if we just got rid of our TVs or all of our online subscriptions, we might hear God. 
I saw a thing, a meme the other day I thought was pretty cool. It said, have you ever tried binging Jesus? I thought, we don't, we don't even know, we don't even have that concept. You mean more than just praying over my food? More than just praying for the kids at night? Or, yeah, just spend time with him. See, this is where we know this intimacy comes from, is relationship. Acts chapter 2 talks about us being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And I, I usually focus on the, the, well, I talk about all the elements, but when it comes to God's presence, the individual flames of fire over all their heads. And I believe that's real. I believe that really happened. And I believe that, that like, if we were in this room right now, you could look at somebody else and you could see the flame of fire over their head, right? They could see the flame of fire over your head. And, and, it, and all through Scripture, all the way up until then and even after, uh, when we see uh, a, a, f- a fire, flame of fire like that, it has to do with God's presence and his power. Those are the two elements of that, presence and power. Um, that The whole um, fire by night, cloud by day with the Egyptians. God's presence was in the fire and his power. But here's something that, that we need to put enough emphasis on. Sometimes I probably don't. Is we know the sound of the, the rushing wind, right? Well, anytime in scripture we see cloud or like a smoke mentality or something like that, it's his presence, but it's his presence with intimacy. The fire is his presence with power, and the cloud is his presence with intimacy, a relationship. He's connecting. Talk to Moses face to face. We see that. And this is where the church can get messed up, and specifically the Pentecostal church gets messed up, is because we focus on one element of that, and we don't put them in balance together. We focus on the intimacy, relationship side of God, but we're not interested in the power. We're not going after the power because, well, we don't need it. We're not witnessing. We're not praying for people. We're not doing it. We just, it's very selfish. It's all about me. I want the closeness of God. Well, the reality is you're not getting as close as you think because you haven't put it into balance. The balance says we're also needing his power to stand up against sin, to preach the gospel, to pray for people, and the supernatural to happen. God wants his presence in power and in intimacy and relationship in our life. He wants both of those. We have to pursue God completely in that context. But we get that, we get that out of balance. We get it confused. Well, let's go to Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. Now, this next sentence says, "When the spirit and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters." It's interesting that in in um, more English translations, we see that this is a new New Living Translation. We see where it says the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. If you look up, if you have the ability, if you've got a different, depends on what Bible program you have on your phone. If you can do this right now. But you can do this. Look up um, any kind of Jewish-leaning translation of Old Testament Scripture, um, even if they also, Messianic Jewish, but specifically Judaism mentality of Old Testament. And this Scripture will almost always be translated, instead of Spirit of God, it will be translated, and the breath of God hovered over the waters. So in Acts chapter 2, the pneuma the Spirit of God, and they were filled with the Spirit, that actually in the Greek can be translated. And it's not bad that we use the, the Holy Spirit. We use that term, Holy Spirit. But that can be translated the breath of God. That's what pneuma, that's the Greek word is pneuma. That's what that means is, is, is breathed air. The breath of God. And this is why later when Peter is talking about that the scripture, the Holy Scripture is carried along and that God protects it and keeps it. That's why when people say, well, how do we know that the Bible that we have today is the true word of God? Because the Holy Spirit's big enough to keep it. The way Peter actually could translate that is that the scripture is carried along on the breath of God or superintended by the breath of God. Carried along on the breath. And then we see that before the earth was created, that the breath of God. So we've got the Logos, which is Jesus, the Word. We've got God the Father, the, the, the Judge. And we've got the breath, the Holy Spirit, hovering over the surface of the waters. Now let's jump down to verse 7 of Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils. And the man became a living being. I, I like the fact that it says the man's nostrils. Because you can get to your lungs through your mouth, right? Well, why does he specifically say through the man's nostrils? 
This is my, this is my posit. I don't know for sure why. This is, this is why I think he says that. Because to me, that seems a little more intimate, a little closer. Like if I'm going to breathe in your mouth, I don't have to be as close as I do to breathe into your nose. You say, really, is that it? Give me another reason why he said that. See, I, I think God is, everything God is doing all through scriptures, he's trying to tell you, he's trying to get close to you. He wants to be close to you. He wants to be so close. And when he breathes life into you, he does it through a breath mentality. Think about this. Even the way God has designed us as human beings, one of the, one of the most intimate things that we do as, a, as man and wife is that we kiss each other. Right? You all right? <laughs> I just hold it over there like, mm, that's right. <laughs> but, but here's the thing with this. When you're kissing each other, think about the closeness that you have to. If you really think about it, kissing is kind of gross. If you really think about it, right? It's gross. But then it's not. Right? I took uh, Linda to the airport Monday. I think it was Monday. And uh, at 4.15 in the morning, I just get up and walk out the door. It's a good thing I had clothes on. And I, I drive her to the airport and drive back. When we get to the airport, she's, she, you know, she's been up for a while. She's doing all this stuff. She's going on a trip, going to see the grandkids. So she comes over and she hugs me and says, okay. And then she starts to kiss me. But here's what I'm thinking is, I, I, I haven't brushed my teeth yet. Do you really want this? So I kind of do one of these. And she's like, no, kiss me. I'm like, all right. Because see, for me, I'd be like, that's good enough. Just let's get close and uh, make the noise and don't, don't make me smell that. But, but have you ever thought about the closeness and the intimacy that comes along with that? The breathing of each other's air? Especially if you do, if you do some real kissing. You know what I'm saying? It's rude. There's a, there's a closeness there. Now, here's the thing that we don't process sometimes, guys. Did you realize that God designed it that way? This is not something that humans just one day were like, you know what we should do? Touch lips. We should do that. Did you know you can actually study this? Be careful how you Google it. But you can actually study this. Is that there is a lot of physiological stuff that happens when you begin to kiss. There's a lot of stuff that happens. That's good for you. There's a connection. There's, there's a lot of things. And God designed us to have to be face-to-face. -face. John chapter 20, verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Then he breathed on them, pneuma, breath of God, and said, receive the Spirit. Now, you can't breathe on somebody and say, receive the Spirit. But God can. God breathed into Adam. Jesus breathed out, and the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, this is not just metaphor, this is real. The breath of God moved into these people's lives, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit by breathing on them. This is the Son of God himself, after the resurrection, breathing the Holy Spirit out into people. Now, I see preachers do that sometimes. It irritates me. <sighs> receive the Holy Spirit. You ain't God. Shut up. You don't have that ability. You don't have that right. This is the Holy Spirit, and you can't breathe him into somebody else. But Jesus can. Let's, let's not play games with that kind of stuff. When Jesus breathed, the Holy Spirit, the pneuma, the breath of God, breathed out into their existence. Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God caused a man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. I talked about the side and the rib. I won't repeat all that. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He recognized she was just different. She was the same as him, but completely different. The opposite. 
She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife. So here's some things coming along with this concept of intimacy here. First, I mean, you probably have processed this at different times, but God took her from his side to stand side by side. This is not accident. None of this is accident. God's, like, God's not sitting there going, okay, I need to make a woman. What would be a good a bone to use? God planned all of this. Because as husband and wife, you're supposed to walk side by side. You're equal in God's eyes. You're not the same, but you're equal. You're supposed to do this together. The idea that somehow I'm Linda's boss, that don't make sense. She's not my boss either. But <laughs> we're supposed to walk side by side. But you know what I have found over time is sometimes she does need to take the lead on some things. And she needs to be the boss. Sometimes I take the lead. And I need to be the boss. But we do this together. We're in relationship together. We're, we're, not, we're not two separate people cohabitating. We're one in Christ and we need to figure this out. She, God didn't take a head bone so that she would rule over me. And he didn't take a foot bone so I would walk over her. He took a rib so we walked side by side. But here's another part of this. Is that God, this concept of the rib, and I don't think this is accident. I think God was specific about this. That the rib cage covers, um, protects the heart, the internal organs, all that stuff. The rib cage protects that. And I believe the context of intimacy, and let me, change, let me use the, a little play on the word here. I believe the context of, context of intimacy is that a woman spends the rest of her life trying to get back in there to his heart. Covering and protecting his heart. She spends the rest of her life trying to get into me and see the real me, into my heart, into me, see. You guys, we're not good at this. As, as, as people and men, we're not good at this. We don't, we don't want her to look too much into there. It might, it might cause all kinds of extra emotions, and, and it might cause really getting into the big issues of life and processing and opening up and all this stuff. I saw a great picture the other day of this guy that was holding his wife, and her head was up against him, and he's holding like this, but he's looking. He's, he's looking to protect and cover, and just like God said, he covers us with his wings. He's looking to protect and cover, and that's a, that's a major form of intimacy for, for a guy is that he wants to protect. A major context of intimacy for a woman is getting inside. I want to know more. I want to, I want to try to figure this out. And that's why you do have issues. This is what I talked about the first week is when, when she says that I... I Tell me more. Tell me how you're feeling, all this stuff. And he's literally like, I don't. I don't feel. And, and, he's, and, and he's wanting, when he asks her, you know, how you feel, we're, we're still talking about it 12 years later. So, um, guys, we are different, but I do know this. Both of us are designed to have intimacy. So you say, how do I get there? How do I get there? This is how you get there. If you will pursue God with everything about you, and then you will pursue God for your spouse. Pursue God with your spouse and pursue God for your spouse. You'd be amazed at how God brings that intimacy. Some of the, the greatest, closest moments that I ever have with Linda is when I'm praying for her at night. She goes to sleep immediately. I, it takes me a couple hours minimum to go to sleep every night. And, uh, but I, I'm praying. I'm talking to the Lord. I'm praying in the Spirit, all these kind of things. And uh, praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit is one of the ways Scripture, it is the strongest way in Scripture that shows us intimacy is being built, okay, between you and God. So I'm praying for her, and then I'll, I'll put my hand on her and pray for her. And she knows I do this. She just doesn't know I'm doing it right then, sometimes. And some of the, the, the deeper moments that I have with that, she's sound asleep, but me and God are talking. I'm praying for her, and the Holy Spirit is doing something very deep in my spirit in an intimate way with my wife. And we've got to, guys, we've got to get away from this idea that sex is intimacy. Intimacy is a big subject. Sex is one part of this. It's one part. Why don't you stand with me? Two things. The Lord wants intimacy with you. He does. I know we, we, we're not wired that way. We don't think that way. We resist when God starts getting really close. We resist when it gets to the point where we, could, we start feeling and emotional and emoting, all that stuff. And, and then the Lord begins to move on us. But guys, don't, 
Don't resist this. He wants to, he wants to have intimacy with you. God's designed you that way. And then the second thing is that the Lord wants you to have intimacy with your spouse. And he also wants this in relationships in your life. But the spouse one is the, the primary one. It's the big one. Right? So let's pray. Lord, we, we just submit ourselves to you. Jesus, you're the king. You're the king. And you want to speak to us face to face like we're friends. Lord, we ask you through your Holy Spirit, through your power, your presence, and intimacy, that, Lord, that you would speak into our hearts, speak into our lives, wrap your arms around us, pull us in close. And I pray for every man and woman in this room. Lord, I know you want them to be close to you, but we run and we resist. And we stay so busy and stay so noisy, we can't, we can't take a few minutes to just lock ourselves in with you. Lord, help us. Convict us of that and help us. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for the marriages in this room. God, that you would just wrap your arms around them as a couple. Let them sense your presence. Let them sense your closeness. In the name of Jesus. Lord, we need you. God, we've had so much tear apart marriage and love, commitment and covenant, relationship intimacy, communication. God, that stuff has been torn up so much in our society. But Lord, I believe right now in every single one of these people in here that immediately you can bring that closeness with you and that intimacy with you. And in every single marriage that you can immediately right now open our hearts and our minds to receive this, this, this context of intimacy and, and true connection and covenant and commitment to each other. So, Lord, I commit myself to you as, as Linda's husband to do the best I can to pursue you. And in that, Lord, that I pursue intimacy with her in the name of Jesus. Lord, we need this. We are a people that are desperately in need of this. In the name of Jesus. Can, um, you can go if you like, but if you'd like just to spend a little time, you're welcome to do that. We will see you Wednesday night.